Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the Orlando area. Nice, beautiful day. Much more humid than I'm used to in Colorado. I'm in Eric Reinhold's backyard. We just moved off of, off of smoke on the water to the backyard and uh, everyone's gonna be eating. And I wanted to bring back Andrew Lawson onto the podcast because Andrew, when I interviewed you and Eric three years ago, we talked about your stories and then we talked about the Orlando chapter and how the Orlando chapter really got started and how it's been growing and all that, but we never got to rapid fire questions. There you go. And so wanted to bring you back on because I need to hear these rapid fire questions. Oh, and I know I'm not ready. ready. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to bring you back on and talk a little bit about your story again for those that may have missed that and aren't gonna go back. And then let's get to rapid fire. So Andrew, you were a missionary kid in Brazil, right? How crazy is that? Amazon of Brazil, literally where stories are told. Where in Brazil? So the mouth of the Amazon, really there's, you know, when everyone visits Brazil, or if anybody hears that I'm from Brazil, they keep asking me questions of all, literally all of the, the civilized parts, you know, they've got some connection with Rio or Sao Paulo or something. Born and raised in Belém, which is the mouth of the Amazon. Yeah. You know, Manaus and Belém are the really only two cities of any significance there. So that's where my folks worked, and that's where I was born. My older sister and younger brother were all born there. How long were you guys there? Through high school, through graduating in high school. Really? Yeah, so 17, 18 years, 17 years. What was it like growing up there? I mean, when you know... Nothing else. When you know nothing else, absolutely right. My memory of it was absolutely magical. I mean, in terms of just a singular, unique experience. How, so, big, how uh, big of a city? It's a significant Town? city now. So I left there in 87. Yeah. And um, obviously, like a lot of places, it's turned into something far more than it was then. I wouldn't even guess. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't been back since 88, had a chance to go back first year of college just to catch up with my folks who were still working there and they worked there for almost 40 years in, in, wow. in that area. What led them there? So my parents are Scottish, so I've got a deep Scottish background. I have, other than obviously coming here to the U.S. for college. Have you ever come to Holy Smokes in a kilt? I have, <laughs> I have. There's, there's, there's pictures, there's photographic evidence of that. Um, and I have several kilts. My, my hat's off to you. For there you go. Were you full Scottish or American Scottish? I No, no. Literally, I have zero connection to the United States other than, and that's a longer... No, no, no. I, I mean when you were wearing the kilt. Are you going full Scottish oh, or full American? Scottish. Full Scottish. There's no other way. You don't, you, you know, you don't go, you don't go, you don't go half-baked on that one. But absolutely, absolutely. That's funny. So... You came back to the States for college. How much of a culture shock was that for you? Sizable, significant. How so? Like, describe what it was like. Where'd you go? And So I had an interest and a real inclination into aviation, flying, and had a very unsuccessful attempt to get into the Royal Air Force, the RAF. And given that that did not get off the ground, my mom's memory of all of the jungle aviation pilots that she had conversations with, they had mentioned a few schools in the U.S., one of them being Moody Bible Institute, that had an aviation, missionary aviation program. And uh, I kid you not, she showed me the acceptance letter because unbeknownst to me, she uh, 
she heard two things. She heard tuition free <laughs> and she heard flying and she applied for me and I got an acceptance letter to MBI in Chicago. Did not pursue aviation, so I'll truncate that whole story. Okay, you're in the jungles of the Amazon and you go to Chicago. Correct. Not only was that a cultural shift for you significantly, but also a temperature shift, a climate shift Absolutely. significantly. What was that like for you? If anybody knows anything about Moody Bible Institute to this day, it is in the downtown of Chicago. Yeah. It is 600 North LaSalle. Windy City where that Absolutely. wind comes right off Lake Michigan and it's so it is, it biting is, cold. It is six blocks north of the loop. Now, they didn't have their aviation school there. At that time, they've changed since. This is 30-some years ago, right, Steve? Yeah. They had a flight school. So you do your one year of, this was back in the day, you did your one year of Bible and then you did your, your four other years of your Bachelor of Science. You got a, you know, their whole argument was they were a feeder school for all these missionary aviation schools or aviation ministries, MAF, JARS, name them all. But uh, I did an aptitude test for the first time in my life, and it pretty much came back. That and a second question that they were rightfully able to ask, which is, do you envision yourself flying a single-engine airplane into the, the hinterlands of the world? And I was like, nah, I like flying, but maybe not. So their whole thing was, you're probably better suited to and ended up completing a Bachelor's of Arts with a multimedia photography emphasis and ended up doing commercial photography in Chicago after I graduated. How long were you in Chicago? Seven, eight years total. And what were those years like? Um, to your point, <laughs> it is the Windy City, and I'm, I'm from the Amazon. You know, we're like 0.45 degrees off the equator. Yeah. And that made it very easy for me to decide I need to be like somewhere else. Nice warmer climate. Else. And uh, by the nature of us doing our home assignments in Scotland, it was very common to catch a flight to Miami. And so we had stopped in and visited the U.S. Uh, and so Orlando, or at least Florida, was an easy pick. I scouted South Florida. I, I even scouted Jacksonville. It was a bit like the Goldilocks story, you know, where this was muy caliente. This was a little too hot. Jacksonville was a little too quiet. And Orlando was right in the middle. Yeah. And so, Were you single uh, at the time? I was married at the time. How'd you meet your wife? At school, at Bible college. Okay. Yeah. So, so was, at the time you guys moved down here, any kids? Mm -mm, no kids. Yeah. No. So again, that didn't. That wasn't a difficult decision to kind Where's of. Where's your do wife the, from? Originally, so I'm on wife number two. Okay. So she was originally from Pennsylvania, Reading, Pennsylvania area. Yeah. Then you come down here. Still doing photography? Correct. I was involved in the uh, commercial photography scene and had uh, knew of but did not have a friendship or a relationship with the head of photography at Disney and made that kind of connection and uh, ended up not doing stuff for them, ended up doing stuff for Universal Studios. The backstory was in Chicago, what I was wanting to do was multimedia for missions. If you're a missionary kid and you have any parents that had to, every time they did a furlough or a home assignment, you had to tell your story. And inevitably, it was a matter of this mad rush in the last six months of your assignment to put together some kind of story. So I sat through my share of you know, missionary missions conferences, and I knew that by and large, most of the stuff was substandard. So my imagination was, what if I could put together a media agency that would do media for missions? on a third-party basis, because I would obviously use, you know, marketplace 
companies to kind of carry the load, but be able to do some stuff. And I figured, again, Orlando was central enough that I could do Caribbean, South America, Europe stuff. It was a good jumping off point. It was yeah. still a good place to be able to kind of do some gigs. Anything ever develop out of that? Not really. Yeah. The majority of the answers I got from most mission agencies, regardless of how small or how large they were, was, that's a great idea. We have a phenomenal need for that. You've got a skill for that. Uh, if you Why don't can, you raise money? If you can raise money, if you can get to our candidates course by August, we might find a place for you. Oh, and I kept saying, I'm not oh, saying Lord. something right, because essentially what I'm trying to do is be able to, I'll give you an example. Central America, there was an opportunity where we had three agencies, one was fairly advanced and wanted to do some, and this was early, again, this is 1994. This is a lifetime ago. Video was fairly new in terms of, I mean, most stuff was at best multi-projector slideshows. At worst, it was single, you know, click, 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 tell your story, show a slide, tell your story, show a slide. And my thought was, what if I could do something in a, pick a country, Central America, do a high-end video stuff for one client, also do something that was fairly general, and then do almost like stock images for a third, but be able to kill three birds with one stone. That was my marketing model back in the day. And to your point, majority of the answers was, hey, this might be something we're looking into, and you've got a skill set for this. If you can raise your support, if you can get to Kansas school, we might be able to plug you in. And I'm like, that's not where we're going, you know? So. That was the story with that. So how long were you in photography? Or in a, in a profession, that probably lasted probably about two years. We had a friendship with a young couple at the church that we established ourselves with. And I guess her observation was, and she, her background was, was um, employee benefits. And her thing was, we're looking for enterprising people. Our agency is growing. You might be a good fit. And I'm like, the last thing on my mind was to do insurance or employee benefits. And I've been in it for 27 years now. <laughs> so that was the transition yeah. in terms of work-wise. I still noodle a little bit with my, you know, my phone. You're taking, US, today you were taking a whole bunch of pictures. I still and, do. I guess I yeah. can't stop. Yeah. That's awesome. So Kids? I've got two. Well, they're grown men now. I've got a 26-year-old and a 23-year-old. Two boys. What are they up to? Uh, my eldest is a firefighter. He just moved up last fall to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And my youngest is in the Orlando area. He just graduated from college. And then your bride? Yes. So I'm remarried. Um, my bride who... I met have, her at, what was it, the Conclave two years ago? Correct. Yeah. We had it on the docket. Her daughter graduated from college last year. So that kind of... Trump did that, and she graduated with a double major, so we went and yelled loudly for her at her graduation for that. And then ended up moving her to Boston, literally the five days that followed that, so. Yeah. Yeah, didn't make it, but we're on the books for this next conclave. And then the Orlando group, it's growing. Yeah. Still. And you guys are doing, I mean, really, of all the chapters around the nation, there are a handful that are really kind of flagship, like, you guys are crushing it. And this is one that I'll see posts often where you guys are having smokes here over at Corona, other places. Right. And yeah. we have a standing one that's kind of the third Thursday. 
So again, anybody that is in town, but as you well know, Orlando tends to be, and this is happening even next week, tends to be a spot where folks will drop in for conferences or conventions. There's obviously a number of other ministries that are based here. So uh, anytime somebody gives us a heads up and they're like, I'll be in town, we'll cobble something together for that. We're happy to do that. That's beautiful. Andrew Lawson, let's get to rapid fire oh, questions. Hey everyone, I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right, we have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks. Rapid fire. Fire. I've been out of it for so long that I've been forgetting to start the podcast. With, All right. Well, I don't want to do your job for you. What you smoking? I don't want to do so, your job for so you. So, what are you smoking? You pulled out a special one you wanted oh, to smoke well, for yeah, this one. Oh, well, yeah, for you, absolutely. We go top shelf for you, Steve. This is an Alec Bradley Prensado. So, this is a 96 rated. I think I've had that before. And yeah. Yeah, that's solid. I recommend it. When did you first try cigars? That's something that I've been asked before. I kid you not. It was, so again, you know my background, missionary school, high school had 42, 42 people in a high school. Everyone talks about graduating class of, you know, how many hundreds. And there was a- Mine had 55. 55, well, there you go. That's rare that we find that. I'm used to sitting through how many hours of graduations, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a play that we did. I think it was called The Inspector General. I was the inspector. And one of the props that it called for was that he had to have a cigar. So I found some roached out cigar, <laughs> you know, in the backwaters of the Amazon. And that was my prop. And then it, this is the first time this is going public. But at the end of the, at the, end of the play, you know, I've got a cigar still that we've, we've used for a couple of these performances. So we have to light that thing up. We got to put some fire on that thing. So yeah. I have absolutely zero memory of what that is. Other than when somebody asks, you know, what was your genesis of cigar experiences? That's what it was. Have no idea what it was. Ended up doing a ton of stuff with work-wise. And I remember one particular business after hours that had a cigar lounge. It was a top deck kind of thing. And there was yeah. a cigar lounge below. So um, somebody did the whole, hey, let's go grab a cigar. And it was a um, La Gloria Cubana. Mm. That's the one I remember. Yeah, I like the glorious. And uh, I often quote, and I don't know if he gets credit for this, but he will tonight. Sigmund Freud officially says this sometimes is just a prop. You know, sometimes a cigar is it's just, just a, cigar. a cigar. And what Eric and I have found here with Holy Smokes Orlando is that it does two things. It gives you a reason to kind of push pause yes. for 45 minutes, an hour and a half. 
and have what I hope is meaningful conversations other than, you know, we're not interested in sitting around TV and watching a football game or uh, just having kind of inconsequential nonsense type talks. So um, to me, that's the power of what a cigar can sometimes do. Ever do pipe? I'm too young. I'm not old enough to be a pipe guy, I don't think. Favorite cigar? I just said this tonight. And we've got some cigar guys here that are far deeper down the rabbit hole than I. My experience has been, even if you hung on to, this is my favorite. Yeah. If you are literally open, and especially if you do any cigar events, and we are in Orlando, boy, talk about an abundance a buffet of plenty when it comes to cigar lounges or cigar people. Mm-hmm. I think I just posted probably within the week where if I get a bundle of a particular one that I like, I'm probably most interested in the ones I haven't tried yet. And if I'm you're kind of the same way, does that I make really sense? Am. I'm totally the same way. I mean, I'll have, I'll have go-tos that I'll go back to. Sure. But I'm always down for trying something new. And you'll recognize ones you're like, oh, that's a gooder. Like you smoked one earlier, and I'm like, ooh, that's a gooder. Yeah. But um, the idea of only and always on one particular one, I think is so limiting, in my opinion. And it, again, if you're remotely open to something different, you may find your new favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like, there's a holy smoker in Colorado Springs, Owen Hill. I don't know if you've ever met Owen on one of your trips, but... I have asked him one time, I was like, what's your favorite cigar? The one I'm currently smoking. Currently now. I mean, this is not a bad cigar. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? That's kind of an easy one. I've got a couple of those resting in my cigar humidor right now. A boutique brand from a gentleman in Winter Park, Florida. Not to be confused with Winter Park, Colorado, which I have yet to visit. And uh, him and his partner, the name is Corban, mm-hmm. which I believe is kind of Hebrew for smoke offering. That's a story I'm told, so I'm going to repeat that. And him and his partner sold their business with a lot of zeros after it. And their comment to each other, and mostly his particular partner, Jeffrey insisted, look, we have celebrated the highs and lows of our business ventures with cigars. It's a bit like Winston Churchill insisting that, you know, you celebrate champagne for when you have your high moments, when you have your down moments, we'll have some champagne as well. And their argument was, it's not a financial issue anymore. Let's go on this crusade to find. And so they created their own cigar brand. And the story real quickly was, Jeffrey had a connection with Nestor Placencia, and he indulged them as a favor. And suddenly he's like, I think you boys are onto something. So it's a Corban. And the original one was, again, is sitting in my humidor, resting for the occasion that I think it deserves. So bottom line, you could only buy them in boxes of 10. They were $500 for a box of 10, which I think makes it $50 a stick. And there are amazing sticks, cigars you can get that are certainly far less than that. But um, I lit that one, enjoyed it thoroughly. Didn't have any hurry on that one. Best dollar for dollar cigar. That's a tougher question. Simply because, again, you can get some of these promos or specials and uh, I tend to be a Fuente fan had a chance to meet the Fuentes back in the day and obviously they've got a huge presence in Tampa and Carlito you talk about a figure and an ambassador in the cigar world so I tend to like any of the Fuente stuff the Opus X of course is kind of the creme to the creme but um, yeah 
again, I had a placencia the other day, and I'm like, boy, that is a meaty, toothy little little mm-hmm. cigar. You know, the Alma Fuerte, the, 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 it's a real strong one, Maduro. But um, if you just kind of are open to a couple of things, like you said, and I'm generous when I will share something that I like with somebody, and the opposite is true. Somebody will say, have you tried one of these? So, yeah, be open about that. Where's your go-to place to get your smokes? My go-to, I always patronize, and we're big about trying to try out different shops. And if we find something new, next Thursday, Eric and I are both going to research. That's our joke. We joke we're going to go research a new place that just opened up. So they've got a grand opening on Thursday night. But like I said, in the Orlando, Central Florida area, there's a couple places. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jeff Borsowitz and what he's doing. He's the owner of the Corona Cigar family. And he's got his own little plot, probably from here, Steve. It can't be more than 20 miles from here. It yeah. can't be 25 miles from here. Yeah. So uh, here's a guy who did the whole, I'm not, do, I'm not doing this for financial reasons when it comes to planting and having his own 20-acre farm. But um, yeah, Corona Cigars, we like a place in Sanford that has been incredibly hospitable to us called Executive. But um, Just there last night. Fabulous. So um, yeah, we are blessed when it comes to spots to live and which makes it a little tricky when you go and travel to other places and you're like boy the pickings are slim in whatever city you're in right what's your splurge cigar splurge probably a high-end fuente over sex rare pink you know if you're going to treat yourself to something favorite liquid pairing with your smoke i have we just talked about my scottish background and scotch is a newer taste for me. I've been in the U.S. since, what, late 70s now. So yeah. I tend to find myself playing a lot with bourbon. And we just had, we had a couple of those yet this afternoon. So, um, and I make a pretty mean old fashioned. So a little humble brag right there. So a bourbon and a good cigar, to me, that is just magical. Most interesting person you've ever met through cigars. Real quickly, I would go to Avo Uvenzian, who was a Orlando local back, Mm -hmm. you know, towards the end of his day. He's passed away now, I believe, three years ago, maybe four. And uh, he used to hold court down in the south side of town. And uh, what an interesting individual when it came to his multiple careers, mostly music in the early days and then cigars in the latter half of his days. So if you've ever had an Avo and uh, you're wondering why they all have musical names to them, Mm. quick little tip you can look up later on. He picked up a little ditty that was not working in terms of a composition. And uh, a young artist named Frank Sinatra was having trouble with the music that went along to the lyrics for a song called Strangers in the Night. And Avo said, here, let me have a chance to work on that. And the rest is history. Most memorable cigar experience? That's a little tougher. I had a chance to go to London. London's an interesting place and uh, had a cigar at the Carlton Club, which is the home of the Conservative Party in London. If you're familiar with some of these houses that they have there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was only memorable because two hours before I got married at Westminster Abbey to my bride, Miss Janine, 
And so uh, we celebrated with a Cuban cigar at the Carlton Club. We had a reception there. Westminster Abbey. That's wacky, isn't it? That's How'd a you get that done? Uh, it's not possible. But uh, <laughs> but how'd you get it done? Uh, officiated or at least overseen by the dean of the abbey. Wow. So that's a whole nother story unto itself. And I had a number. Let's hear of, it. You want to hear it? You want to hear it? You Let's got time? It. Yes. So a good colleague of mine who is also, I'm a chaplain and he is also a chaplain. And my simple ask to him was scout out the abbey. He had had a chance to meet my wife, Janine, and he said, boy, she's a keeper. You need to marry her. And I said, absolutely. Yeah. And I said, so here's the deal. Scout out the Abbey. His name was Bailey. Bailey, you and your wife will be there. And uh, all we want to do simply is you'll ask, obviously, a a number of questions where the answer is I do. Because I already knew. If you're not knighted or if you're not royalty, you're not getting married at Westminster Abbey. Don't even ask. And he quickly came back with this whole, well, about two weeks later or three weeks later, he said, tell you what, I got an answer back from the dean of the abbey and he said, no. (laughs) And so I kind of scolded him. I said, dude, simple instructions were you were to scout out a spot where we could literally just kind of privately do something quietly and you were not to involve the dean of Westminster Abbey. And so uh, we kind of, I'm a mule-headed character. I said, well, we're still going to press on with our plans. This was now six years ago. So a number of weeks later, I got another email from him because he was living in London at the time. He was just down from Westminster. He said, I got an email back from the personal assistant from the dean who said, as much as we've said kind of no to the wedding kind of thing, the marriage thing, we would be open to a rededication service. And I said, Oh, absolutely. Given that we had a wedding in Florida, which kind of took care of the U.S. stateside paperwork, and we were also going to get married at Westminster Abbey. So changed the wording a little bit to our, our, and it had to be timed. They're like, we'll give you 10 minutes. We kept it to seven. And then even the day before, this PA, her name was Twiggy Strawbridge, if you cannot get more English than that. She had reached out to Bailey and said, didn't know this, sorry, you might want to change your plans. The organ at Westminster Abbey is going to be tuned on Tuesday, which is when you're scheduled to be here, or scheduled, as they say. Would you like to do it like later in the afternoon? And we had already had the 10 o'clock scheduled here and the lunch scheduled at Carlton Club. And we said, tell you what, we'll take our chances. It's only going to be less than 10 minutes, right? And so even getting there that day, I thought, we're going to either, it's a 50-50 chance. We're either going to be greeted by, how on earth did you pull this off? And he was delighted. It was the most amazing thing. And uh, basically found a little private spot off to the side and then stood there the whole time. We thought, you know, he's going to kind of open up a little cordon area and leave us be. And he stood there the whole time and uh, essentially said, I haven't had this much fun in the longest time. And he just (laughs) essentially kind of sat there and just kind of oversaw this thing, gave us a little blessing. And the Westminster Abbey, you cannot take photos. It is a house of prayer. So he said, if you don't mind excusing me, I have prayers at the top of the hour. And at 11 o'clock, he quieted everybody. By the way, this is Valentine's Day six years ago. So this is February 14th, which is an easy date for me to remember now, right? 
and essentially quieted everybody, had the most beautiful blessing for newlyweds, couples, and families. And then uh, later found us, because I'm the only guy in full regalia kilt. Mm -hmm. My wife's Janine's in a beautiful gown. So we were easy to spot. And he said, tell you what, if you've got a minute, I have private prayers in this area that is off limits to the public, which is the original foundation of the Abbey. It's the Edward the Confessor altar, yeah. which is off limits for the simple reason it's been around since 1066, the Battle of Hastings. It's the original foundation of the Abbey. And of course, I was curious. I'm like, why is this off limits? And his simple answer was, pilgrims for centuries have been picking off relics and stealing gemstones and whatnot. So this is now not, not available to the public. We had private prayers with the Dean of the Abbey, and that was magical. You can't repeat that. You can't even order that. You got so, in? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So uh, at the end of this whole thing, he's like, do you have a camera? Which we're like, you're not allowed to have a camera, but I, in my sporn, which is the little pouch in yeah. front of my kilt, I had my phone, which clearly had a camera on it, and he took some photos of us. So we have pictures of us at that event. And then we headed off to the Carlton Club for our our little reception, dude, and then Cuban cigars in the garden after that. That's awesome. Isn't that wacky? And then, of course, I had all my relatives that were in England and Scotland wondering why they were not invited. We invited nobody. All right, back to rapid fire. Go. Marvel or DC, or neither? Oh, neither. Okay. I, I'm not vested in either of them. Star Wars or Star Trek? Probably Star Wars. I mean, you can't help it when 50 miles south of you in Disney World is an entire empire, right? Into sports? Avid non-sports guy. Favorite kinds of music? I like smooth jazz. I like bossa. Being born and raised in Brazil, I'm a big, big fan of bossa, Jean-Jubel Jobim, and, and that whole kind of lyrical sound. Favorite bands, like from when you were in college? Uh, that was uh, that would have to be you too. Favorite food? Well, that's easy. If you said Indian or Chinese or Mexican, I would say yes. Yes is the answer to food. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Dogs. Although I, I don't mind cats. I just I can't eat a whole one anymore. So <laughs> if you're into cats, you, we can share recipes or anything. But uh, nickname growing up or in college? I was called Andy in high school, which is only funny because my sister still calls me that and I'm like, I haven't been Andy for <laughs> 30, 40 years, you know. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Oh, that's a gooder. This one may come up to haunt me, but uh, I have military papers from two different branches of the armed services from two different countries, from two different continents. Favorite one to three books not titled the Holy Bible? Huge Winston Churchill fan. So any of the uh, biographies written by Winston Churchill, I like his answer because Winston Churchill said, history will be very favorable to me because I will write it. I intend to write it. I intend to write it. So he wrote, how many, two autobiographies? But boy, what a, what a unique, singularly unique individual for his time, but to this day, I cannot stop quoting Churchill. You have a life scripture? 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has always guided me, you know, mm. and in all your ways, the idea of, and we just had this discussion, didn't we? Pretty animated discussion down there where you commit your paths for the simple reason that the one singular known or the one singular certainty is the Lord. I may have plans, imaginations, and preferences, but at the end of the day, I hold those pretty loosely um, in all your ways. Commit your plans to the Lord and he will direct your paths. Name three things that you are thankful for at this time in your life. Incredibly grateful for my wife, daily. The ability again to presume that I will always enjoy the camaraderie of believers. Uh, Holy Smokes, I think, captures that more than I've experienced in any other adult experience where you have the ability to have such like-minded godly folks, they're not all, all the same. I mean, you look at our little band of brothers that met this afternoon, and, and that is true of almost all the time that we do group. So that'd probably be number two, health. I'm a licensed life and health agent, so when I'm helping claims and whatnot, it brings right to the front the ability to know that I'll do what I can, but again, God will tell you whether you uh, get another day, another breath. If you could be any animal, what would you be? A tiger. Who don't what? love a tiger, right? Are you an early riser, a night owl, or kind of average? I'm running both, and maybe that's not the best. I'll get up and kind of get at stuff, but I certainly don't look at the clock and say, hey, you know, got to wrap things up. If you could live anywhere, where would that be? I love Orlando, Florida. I've got the freedom to kind of, in all candor, live wherever I want. I'm fluent in Portuguese, so I could live in Brazil, live in Portugal, or I speak enough Spanish doing what I do, but um, I like Orlando, Florida. The free state of Florida, there's kind of nothing like it, right? What's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? Undyingly loyal is my greatest strength. And then I check that, the shadow side of that is in a lot of the relationships, I find myself doing this recently, especially with clients or some of the other relationships. I think there's a movie that was called, you know, she's not that into you. So if I find that uh, clients, there's no reciprocity, I tend to mirror them. So again, that's probably a weakness in the sense of a lot of times they might need or want me to kind of lead a little bit more, but I tend to mirror them, so. It's been the greatest influence in your life. I found myself very involved in men's ministry. This is a version of it, I suppose. I kind of ran a, a men's ministry here in Orlando for a number of years. And um, I've heard this expression that, you know, the, the folks you spend a lot of time with uh, greatly influence you. So, um, and I, I have a passion for men from a leadership perspective and from just, you know, being able to do their, do their best work, God-given. And so, um, that, that's intentional, and there's some great guys here, I think, who are doing it better. So they've challenged me literally within the last five days to uh, kind of sharpen my sword. Ooh. Who's the first person would you think of when you hear the word successful? That's a bit of a loaded question, Steve. Only because this idea of success, certainly in this Western world, in the U.S. culture, 
is absolutely one thing. I heard the word which I like a lot this afternoon, which is how to be present. So how to be literally fully alive, how to be present, and that involves listening. I find myself not that interested in what I have to say because I kind of already know what I think and what I have to say, but the idea of how do I be present? And so to me, I think finding what matters most to others and the ability to kind of address that or speak to that, to me, that would be success. Uh, I don't have, we joked about this earlier, I don't have these goals, these metrics, these analytics that say, if I were to reach this number, but um, you know, how can I have a lasting impression with my sons? How can I have a lasting impression? How can I do something that is eternal? I think I said this earlier, so you can quote me on this one. The two things that remain is the word of God and souls. So what am I doing that really pours into those two metrics if I'm gonna measure anything? Yeah. How do you wanna be remembered? Um, I'm not that particular about that. Last three. What does Holy Smokes mean to you and how has it contributed to your spiritual journey? Holy Smokes is such a unique thing because the ability for you to have meaningful conversations, and in some cases, substantial, kind of drilled down deep conversations. And so how that contributes is, it's like a plumb line. How do you kind of just kind of keep dialing in or tacking in, if you want to use sailing boating terms, how do you kind of keep adjusting? And I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm very open. I've done this in the last five, seven days where I'll ask folks to give me a real read on, you know, whatever they observe, or if I have some wingnut idea, what do you think? Yeah. You know, so Holy Smokes gives me the ability to do that. Arguably more so in the one-on-ones, to me, I value that far greater in the ones and twos type conversations versus the larger convenings, which we'll always have. Those tend to kind of bring in some of the marginal or the fringe type folks, but then the ability to have substantial conversations. You could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus or Winston Churchill. Oh, come on! <laughs> Winston, Winston Churchill was out of control. And I'm not trying to top that guy. Um, Jordan Peterson. Okay. And I know Dennis Prager smokes, so that would be an easy one. If I could have a cigar, I, I consider Dennis Prager my favorite rabbi. And he would probably argue that he's not a rabbi, but that man is wise and I value Dennis. I ha I've had a cigar with Dennis Prager, so. So that was two. Jordan Peterson, who is an unbelievable philosopher, thinker, teacher. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Prager, do I have to pick a third one? Yes. I'm having a cigar with you right now. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So there you go. There's three right there. And then Winston Churchill. All right. <laughs> Throw him I'll, in. I'll give it back to you. Thank I'll give you. it back to you. Thank you very much. So, so I can sit at the table with Jordan Peterson and Dennis Prager and Winston Churchill. And the ghost of Winston Churchill. <laughs> All right, last question. If we're to meet one year from today and I got a bottle of your favorite scotch, since you're getting into scotch. Yeah. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? We're drinking Oban. Oban. Yes. My favorite uncle is in Oban, West Highlands. Just uh, it's the little port town that runs you off to pick a ferry. And so we're going to go to Oban, which is how it's pronounced, by the by. And uh, what are we celebrating? I have a business venture 
that we're noodling on that literally will come alive any day now. So hopefully that little business venture has launched and uh, it's out the gate. I'd like that to be the case a year from now. Andrew Lawson, thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. My pleasure, Steve. Looking forward to this so much. Mm -hmm.